This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelor, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. We have a lot of female guests on the show. Like I would say probably 99.7% are women. But today we're going to be breaking the mold for a very special guest because I want to dive into some of the societal pressures that men are faced with that ultimately impact us as women. We spend a lot of time on this show dismantling narratives and stories that are no longer serving women, whether it's beauty standards, traditional roles in the family, our own self-talk. But there are a lot of standards that are placed on men as well that are no longer serving them and therefore no longer serving us that we need to dismantle. So today's guest is really going to help us understand and broach this conversation. He is incredible. We've got Connor Beaton here. He is a New York-based coach, a teacher, a speaker who helps men and women from all over the world walk through their darkness. We're going to talk about something he calls shadow work and grow in the realms of mental clarity, relational communication, actualizing your potential, and sexual intimacy. Sounds good, right? It's going to be awesome. Connor is the founder of Man Talks, which is a community for men looking to expand and deepen their sense of self-awareness. Does anyone know a man who could maybe possibly join this group? I'm raising my hand over here. It's now in over a dozen cities. He has graced the stages with the likes of Gary Vaynerchuk, Danielle Laporte, and some other amazing people. Connor, I could go on and on and on, but thank you for being here today for this conversation. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and for the amazing intro. I feel like I want you to like introduce me everywhere. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> it's all true. It's all true. I feel like we never, you know, take the time to really stop and acknowledge our accomplishments and where we're at. Can you take us back a little bit before we dive into talking about some of the tools that you use to tell us a little bit about how you got into this work? Like who is Connor Beaton behind this whole glamorous introduction that I just gave? <laughs> yeah, it's, that's good. It's good. Yeah. I mean, the, the sort of like long and the short of it is that I had a completely different career in my past. In my 20s, I was a classical singer. I was an opera singer. And I was tra traveling. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's definitely not in the bio. <laughs> I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah, that usually prompts a whole slew of questions. But I was an opera singer. I got a degree in music and I was traveling around the world. I sang in China and Czech Republic and all over Europe and all over North America. And I was fortunate enough to have met a mentor of mine uh, along that period of time in my life. It was one of those things where if you had met me from the outside, it looked like I had this great life. I was traveling. I had this great relationship. I had this cool career. But behind the scenes, things were just a disaster. I was down. I was dealing with some addictions. I was just kind of like all over the place. There was infidelity. There was lies. There was cheating. I mean, it was just kind of messy. And so I was living this sort of life of duality and it all came crashing down. And so after the relationship fell apart and I was questioning my career, 
I spent some time with my mentor at the time who had earlier on in his life, he's since passed away, but early on in his life, he had studied with Carl Jung, who's one of the most prominent psychologists of our time. And so I spent two and a half years apprenticing with him and learning about the psyche and learning about you know why we sabotage because I was so curious about how I had screwed things up so royally and why I had pulled myself down this path of self-destruction and rock bottom and pushing away the people that I loved and, and hurting the people that I cared about the most. And I just, I wanted to understand it so desperately. And so it sent me into this path of of learning. And uh, I was fortunate enough to work with him for quite a while. And then I took these tools later on in life after working with Apple for quite a while and learning about leadership and business and how to build teams and team development and et cetera. And I built Mantox eventually. And I used some of the skills that I had acquired along the way from psychology and then from my leadership time at Apple and, and built the organization that, that I run today. Which is truly incredible. I've been to one of your events here in Vancouver, and you are just a master at bringing together really great minds and creating space for people to have these honest conversations that are often taboo or uncomfortable to have. And I love that you are creating space for men to start to get more vulnerable about the struggles that they're going through because there's not oh, yeah. a lot of there's not a lot of room in our society for men to be <laughs> struggling is there yeah 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 not not necessarily but the the v word you you got the you got the v word coming forward right the vulnerability it's true it's a big challenge there's a lot of guys that you know have been taught a narrative that it's not okay for them to be vulnerable that they should prize this invulnerability which i'm sure we'll get into you know in this conversation and so it, it is one of these things where a lot of organizations and people are starting to address this conversation because they've sort of realized that, you know, we need really good, healthy male role models in our culture and our society. And that's not a bad thing. You know, we actually require a few good men uh, to sort of lead the charge on, on what that looks like. And so, yeah, thankfully, I get to play around in that field and do that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do. And it is so needed. Okay, let's just dive into this conversation since we're already dipping our toe into it. Why is it important that men are allowed to be vulnerable? And what structures are currently in place that are preventing this from happening in our society? Yeah, so it's uh, such a good question. And maybe I'll just explain it a little bit with a quick story. Right after I hit rock bottom, I was so stubborn and I was so bought into what I now call the one rule of men, which is just like Fight Club, right? For all the people that watch Fight Club, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. And the, the one rule of men, <laughs> the one rule of men is that you don't talk about what it's like to be a man, right? You don't talk about mm. what it's like to be a man going through a divorce, struggling with his health, struggling with depression or anxiety. You know, you don't talk about what it's like to be a man who's just lost his parents or his father, his mom, or whatever it is. You just don't talk about that shit. So I think one of the big challenges that I started to see right after that is I had bought into it and it led me to live out of the back of my car for a few weeks because I didn't want to tell people that I had royally screwed up, that I was struggling. I needed to keep this sort of mask and this appearance that I was doing really great, that everything was going well, that I was performing properly as a man. And when I let that go and I started to connect with some of the guys in my life, I ended up having a conversation with one of my close friends and I told him everything that had been going on behind the scenes, was totally honest with him about 
lies that had impacted him, you know, infidelity in my relationships and, you know, so just some of the stuff that I was struggling with. And by the time I was like 10, 15 minutes into me, just sort of like verbally vomiting it out what was happening in my life, he started to break down and I just paused and I just got really quiet and I said, what's, what's happening? And, and I said, what's going on? And he said, well, you know, I didn't expect to be having this conversation, especially with you. But he's like, I just want to thank you because I never thought I would share this with anyone. And he proceeded to tell me about how a month and a half before our conversation that he tried to hang himself. And the only wow. reason why he was sitting there having a the conversation with me is because it failed. It didn't work. And so we had this really incredible conversation after it. But I realized I came out of that conversation. I, I couldn't shake it. I thought about it for weeks. One of the things that I realized is that we buy into this idea that we as men have to follow this rule that we don't talk about our struggles. We don't talk about our problems, right? We, we don't complain. We don't get into where we're really being challenged. And in that moment, I realized like I knew everything about this guy. I knew the type of scotch that he liked to drink. I knew the music that he listened to. I knew the TV shows that he watched, the, the, his favorite restaurants. Like him and I were like best friends. But I didn't know that he was struggling so bad that he had tried to take his own life. And he didn't know that I was struggling so bad that I lived out of the back of my car for three weeks, right? So there was just this huge gap that I started to see. And so that got me really curious. And you know, after years of, of researching this stuff and, and seeing the research around men and what's happening with them, I started to see that a lot of guys are living into this one rule of men that you don't talk about it. And there is this societal pressure that is put on men to be performance-based uh, creatures, you know, to be performance-based mm -hmm. objects. And we are taught very, from a very young age that our worth and our capacities are a man are in our abilities to perform. We will do anything to perform really well. It's why a lot of men are addicted to porn because they see this like object in pornography that represents, you know, this heightened sense of performance. You know, the guy that's you know, well endowed and, you know, going for hours on end and the woman's overly, so, you know, so satisfied constantly all the time in every single position. And so there's this, <laughs> yeah. there's this idea that as men, we need to be able to perform constantly and that in order to do that, we should be invulnerable. And so the idea that men be vulnerable is very contrarian and very counter to the message that a lot of us have received growing up as boys. Mm, this is so interesting. And I feel like something that is so important to break down even further. Thank you for sharing that story, first of all, because at the end of the day, this image that we have of what a man should be, this performance-based individual, is also requiring them to kind of cut the cord with vulnerability. And what I'm hearing as I'm coaching women time and time again is that they are desperate for more intimacy and vulnerability from their partners. Mm -hmm. But yet at the same time, we kind of don't want that because with what we imagine a man to be, that strength, that performance, that security, there often comes a loss of vulnerability because that's just not possible to maintain that structure all the time mm -hmm. for a man. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. Friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. So tell me <laughs> in <laughs> what your do do? journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, in your journey of becoming more vulnerable, what did you gain? Like when you and your friend had that conversation, okay, now both of our shit's laid out on the table and <laughs> you know that I'm living in a car and my relationship didn't work and I'm feeling stuck and you know that he tried to take his life. What did that give you? Why is that important? I think it for a lot of guys, it reminds them that it takes courage and bravery in order to really step in the arena, you know, and in order to really, quote unquote, do the work to get your life in order, it requires an immense amount of courage and bravery. And as Brene Brown has shown through a lot of her research, you can't have bravery and courage without vulnerability. The two of them are inextricably linked. And so mm -hmm. I think for me, one of the big pieces that I realized there is that in those moments and through the moments that came after that was that vulnerability isn't this thing that's going to corrode away my masculinity or erode away my masculinity. It's when done right with the right people under the right circumstances, it's actually going to reinforce my humanity. It's actually going to reinforce mm -hmm. my capacities as a human being. And it's going to make me become stronger in so many ways because most of us men and women are running away from something, right? We're avoiding something in our lives. Maybe we've bought into the idea that we're not good enough or they're not strong enough or smart enough or sexy enough or whatever it is. And so because of that, we're, we're running away from something. And a huge part of the work that all men and all human beings, but you know, we're talking about men right now, all men need to do is to start to turn towards this part of themselves that they tend to want to avoid, right? To turn towards 
the anxiety and face it, to turn towards the negative self-deprecating, you know, shit talking that's happening inside of them that is pulling them down and convincing them that they're not good enough for the relationship or that they're not good enough for the promotion or they're, they're not smart enough to start their own business or, you know, take the risk to become the artist that they know that they're capable of being. And so a large part of this is that we as men need to realize that vulnerability requires courage and that there's an immense amount of strength in there. There's immense amount of self-actualization and self-realization that can take place when we start to lean into that. And it needs to be done under the right circumstances. I think a lot of guys hear the word vulnerability. You know, they hear their partners telling them, oh, I want you to be more open. I want you to be more vulnerable. And for the guys that have grown up without a dad or with an abusive father or with an alcoholic parent, they don't know what that means. Some of the men that I've worked with have literally never been shown an example of what it looks like for a man to be powerfully authentic and be vulnerable and share the parts of themselves that they're struggling with so that they can be challenged, they can be pushed, and they can push through it and, and actually use the obstacle as a means to development and growth rather than something that is causing them to continue to sort of get caught in this victim propaganda that, that happens within a man when he is caught trying to evade this sense of vulnerability because it's just impossible. Mm, and this is so, this relates so much to women as well. Everything that you just said there, when mm -hmm. a man is trying or not even trying, but is just unconsciously avoiding vulnerability or running away from the problem rather than facing it head on, how does that often show up for men? Yeah, it's such a good question. So for a lot of guys, you'll see it in their discipline, right? So it'll show up for a man in his ability to be disciplined in his eating habits, in his workout and fitness routines. You'll see it in his discipline, in his finances, in his mindset, just in his discipline in general, right? So for a lot of guys, they've grown up in an environment because of you know, some of the narratives that they've been given, like real men don't cry and don't be such a pussy and all these types of pieces have taught a man that he should avoid sadness, he should avoid grief, he should not allow himself to feel these emotions that he needs to be able to feel in order to move forward in life. And so he will see discipline largely as a punishment because growing up, right? When a, a young man starts to cry, if he's growing up in an environment where his dad tells him to shut the fuck up or, you know, suck it up and be a man when he's, when he's starting to feel sad or he's feeling lonely or he's failed and he's looking for some attention, what he learns in those moments is that discipline is a punishment. And so for a lot of guys, when they're trying to avoid vulnerability, they are enacting some form of discipline as a punishment. And so what they'll basically be doing is, They'll be binge watching Netflix. They'll be watching copious amounts of porn and masturbating almost daily. They'll be drinking on a regular basis. They'll be smoking pot constantly. You know, they'll isolate themselves quite a bit. That's a huge one for a lot of guys. They'll really isolate themselves from in-person contact and then have this, you know, a lot of connections on social media. They'll be that guy that reaches out to a woman on a Saturday night and hangs out with her and, you know, then kind of ghosts out of nowhere. Um, mm -hmm. So it usually shows up within his discipline, but those are some of the ways that, that it will show up specifically within his life. So interesting. So what do we do? What does <laughs> a man do? What do we do as women? Because 
the majority of people listening to this podcast right now, there might be a couple of awesome guys right now who are tuned in, but the majority of them are women. So how do we support men in stepping into their vulnerability, creating space and allowing that so that men can, rather than, you know, be running from this stuff, grow, find their power, find strength and courage through healing it? Yeah. I mean, it's such a good question. And it's probably like the question I get asked the most is like, how do we support men? I think the biggest way is to really encourage the men in your life to get around like-minded men who are having these conversations so that they can visually see and hear and feel examples of men who are strong, who are who are still leaders in their own right, in their own life, you know, at work, at home that are successful in their own way, and that they can be a part of that conversation. I think the other piece that's really important, which, you know, I think we'll probably talk about is is that all of these men need to start to do what I refer to as shadow work. And that shadow work is being able to face the parts of themselves that they would really want to avoid, right? So a man that is plagued by, you know, really negative self-talk, he needs to be able to tap into a clean, healthy sense of anger to stand up to that internal dialogue. Because if he can't do that, it's going to run his life. It's going to run his relationship, his sex life, it's going to run how he shows up in the work environment and for his family, and it will continue to weigh him down. So a big part of the work that a man needs to do is to start to do this shadow work and turn towards the harder parts of himself. Now, I think the other piece, because I think I can kind of hear the, the women like, you know, give me something specific that I can do, <laughs> you know, besides <laughs> you sending know him like an Instagram <laughs> post or this podcast, like what can I actually do? All of a sudden they're just DMing their partner, Connor Beaton, man talks yeah. like every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hint, hint. Oh, man. yeah. Nudge, nudge. So I think one of the specific things is we in the man talks community talk a lot about calling each other forward. And I just want to define this because I think that in a partnership, in really great partnerships, what each person will do is call each other forward. So all that means is that you have an understanding of the person, the man or the woman that your partner can be and that they are wanting to live into, the person that they are capable of becoming if they actualized a little bit more of their potential, right? If they got up at the time that they said that they were going to get up and go to the gym or if if they you know, applied for the job that was just a little bit out of their reach, or if they started networking and, you know, connecting with the people that they need in order to expand their business. And so what you can start to do is you can start to challenge the men in your life. So many men are lacking challenge. It's just made them lazy. I think that a lot of men right now usually feel like when people in their lives are pushing them, it's coming across as an attack. And it's usually because a lot of people don't know how to actually challenge a man. And so how we do this is that you challenge a man based on what you know he's capable of and what you know he's capable of becoming. And so what that can sound like is, hey, I know that you committed to getting up this morning and going to the gym. What's happening? Like, are you on it? Are you coming with me? Are you going? What's happening? Another way of doing it is to be able to challenge him and say, hey, you committed to something and actually hold him accountable to that. Now, he might not like this. He might push back, and that's a perfect opportunity to say, you know what, I'm trying to support you. Do you have other men in your life that challenge you in this way? Because I don't always want to be the one that's doing it. Mm. And I think that 
that is such a beautiful gift for a man because hopefully, you know, if he's aware, if he's doing the work and he's kind of like into it, that'll wake him up a little bit enough to say, oh, she wants me to, to push myself. She wants me to challenge myself. And for a lot of guys, that is going to be the sort of permission that they're looking for in order to start to take this work a little bit more seriously in order to seek out maybe a coach or a therapist or a men's weekend or you know an advisor, whatever that looks like. But I think that's where it really starts. And it just starts by holding them accountable to what they're saying they're going to do and do it in a way where it's not hypercritical, it's not judgmental, but it is challenge-based because men thrive off of challenge and they need challenge and they specifically need challenge from other men. And so pushing him in that direction can be incredibly, incredibly beneficial. Mm, this is such a great tool for women to take away because I think so often what happens when we're trying to challenge our partner is that it comes across as nagging or mm. our partner is like, you're nagging me, get off my back or get off my case. Yeah. I'm choosing to do this. And then it becomes, there's a lot of friction and then we back off as women. Can I just say one thing Jumping. on that? Yeah. Just really quick. I think one of the best things you can do in your relationship is ask the man that you're dating if he's open to you challenging him. Just be really upfront. Like, are you open to me challenging you? And if so, what does it sound like? Like, how do you want me to be challenging you? And where do you want me to be challenging you? And most guys will be pretty honest with you. You know, they'll say, well, I don't like it when you, you know, deliver the challenge like this, because that feels like criticism. And you can hone your messaging in so that you can be in the type of relationship where you can challenge him. Now, if he's not open to being challenged at all, that might be a red flag. And it might be something that you want to attend to, or it might just be something that he is specifically wanting from somewhere else. And that's okay too, right? But just clarifying where and from whom and on what he is wanting to be challenged on or open to being challenged on is important. Communication, communication, communication. <laughs> it all comes down <laughs> to that big C word. So, okay, I am going to butcher this, but Brene Brown, I read something, she's getting a lot of love on this episode with us right now that she said that really stuck with me. And she was speaking about the fact that when you're looking at a man and a woman in partnership, and we'll just use that as the example right now, obviously there's men and men and women and women. When you're looking at defining a strong man, she says, this is a man who can stand with a woman who is standing in her strength, who knows her power and who knows her worth. And he is not afraid of that. If you're looking at a strong woman, it is a woman who can stand with a man who is in his place of vulnerability, who is authentically showing up in a moment of weakness, and who does not run from that. Does that resonate with you at all? That duality of the two sides, a man standing with a strong woman and a woman standing with a vulnerable man? Yeah, I think, you know, I, the beauty of what she's saying there is that we remember the duality of masculine and feminine and that we are not afraid of, you know, as a man, not being afraid of integrating the feminine qualities and the feminine aspects of my identity, of my existence, of my life. And for women being able to integrate the masculine components of their identity in a way where it's not you know, for both where it's not overbearing, right? For a man where that, those qualities don't become the overbearing thing that is taking him down mm. or for a woman become the overbearing qualities that are blocking her from intimacy because women can mm. get into that space as well. And so I think 
the beauty of what she's saying is that when we remember to integrate the opposing quality, that energy of, of feminine into ourselves as men, it can be not only incredibly healing and liberating, but it can provide a sense of safety and security with, with our partner so that they understand that we're in touch with all parts of ourselves, not just one specific slice of like macho identity. Mm-hmm. Macho identity. Okay. Let's talk about some of the things going on in our society right now that are feeding into that and that are really creating and strengthening this narrative. We talk about this on the show all the time with women, things like the beauty standards uh, set for us in media. What kind of things do you see commonly in media, or I'm thinking of things like UFC, that type of thing, that really feed into this idea of toxic masculinity and the macho guy? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to like just define machoism, right? So machoism is a strong sense of masculine pride with the supreme valuation on the characteristics culturally associated with the masculine and the devaluation of the characteristics associated with the feminine. So machoism mm. in itself for me is the problem. It's not that masculinity is necessarily toxic. It's that this subset, this like very specific subset of machoism is in itself the problem because the definition of it is that masculine qualities are above feminine qualities and that's the issue uh, so i think i think when we talk about toxic masculinity it can get really confusing it can get very confronting a lot of guys really despise the term and sort of tune out as soon as they hear that term because they're like well mm. masculinity isn't necessarily toxic but i think when we look at machoism machoism definitely can be degrading and devaluing of the feminine so that can be toxic because it's producing shame and there is toxic shame and so i think that there are certain people there's there's certain movements there's certain narratives out in our culture right now that are really trying to bring back this you know obscure sense of machoism and it's it's usually tied to a sense of nationalism and it's usually tied to sometimes a really extreme form of religious dogma but that's where it really is is rooted in right so if you look at a lot of the movements that are out there that promote this macho sort of way of being where feminine qualities are devalued and that, that they're sort of put in a one down position from masculine qualities, it's usually the ones that are what we would sort of consider like the alt-right, you know, it's like the, the section where it is, you know, hyper-nationalistic, very sometimes like evangelical, and a lot of the mm. messaging is tied into a very specific modality of how a man should act and how a woman should act. So where do I see it showing up? I mean, I think it's, it's more in people and their messages than anywhere else. I don't think that necessarily brands are promoting this type of machoism. I think if anything, we see this huge surge of brands trying to sort of get on board with promoting a healthier sense of masculinity while they might miss the mark sometimes and catch a lot of slack mm -hmm. for it like Gillette did. They're still trying and attempting to, to sort of show this healthy sense. So I think it's more so with people and their messages tying back to nationalities, right? Like recently, uh, Rush Limbaugh got, I can't remember what the actual award is, but you know he got like the highest medal of honor from the president. And that is a man who's, who for decades has spewed machoism. And a lot mm. of it is just ideology around how a man should act and how gender 
norms should be and you know how you should adhere to certain structures as a man and as a woman and it's just it's a bit archaic but a lot of it is steeped in in religious ideologies and nationalism that's just my mm. opinion so what are your thoughts then on like i still see it in advertisements especially for fashion brands but even for athletic companies a very specific looking type of man with a very specific body if we think about porn it's the same sort of thing now this is tying a bit back to body image but it's still an image of a man being this like mm. strong fit like tough yeah. <laughs> guy there's still a very specific image in media and within brands i feel that is portrayed over and over again yeah, I, I would agree 100%. I just think that it's this is where like there's some subtle differences I've found over the years between men and women in the sense that men don't tie a lot of their masculinity to their body. They'd still have body images. I know a lot of men that have okay. body image issues. And even for myself, for a long time, I would look at my stomach. It's like this this like part of my body, like my stomach, where I was like, why can't I just have like the eight pack that I see Brad yeah. Pitt having? But that's not necessarily tied to my masculinity. For most mm. men, there's a sense of masculinity tied to mostly their penis. And that that's where a lot of guys will stress and worry. And so there is there is some advertisement that will play on that. I think if you look at a lot of like the sex culture and sex industries, things like Viagra and Cialis, they definitely play onto a man's sense of masculinity because it's a lot of it's tied to you know, his genitals and how big or not big or big enough his penis is and whether he can use it properly or for long enough. And so I think mm -hmm. that's where men really feel it. In terms of like the sports, you know, in terms of seeing like the guys that are just shredded and the the body images through Nike and sports magazine and stuff like that, I think for a lot of men, that's more of a somewhat of an aspirational tone. And, and I, I can't speak for all men, right? I think that's the caveat that I'll just put in. I, I'm not speaking for all men. I'm just speaking for the majority of men that I've come across is that when they see when they see those guys, it's like, oh, I could work a little bit harder. I could, you know, lose the five pounds. I could like maybe get into that place. And they also know that those guys have very different lives <laughs> than themselves. Yes. But they probably don't want those lives. So where I see the machoism showing up is generally in like the hyper weightlifting community. I think in the MMA community, there's kind of a mix, right? Like, you know, even the most famous fighter, Conor McGregor recently, I mean, he had Tony Robbins in his corner, you know, for the yeah, last, for the last <laughs> fight and, <laughs> yeah. and it was wild, right? And he was a completely different person, right? He's not shit talking his yeah. opponents. He was calm and he was grounded. And so, you know, I think those industries are starting to change as well because those mm -hmm. guys are starting to realize that they can actually optimize their performance when they not only improve their mindset, but they incorporate humility and vulnerability. And so I think mm -hmm. a lot of those industries are starting to shift and adapt as well, again, because, uh, you know, men are trying to get better results in some way. I'm going to push pause for a second to remind you that if this information is resonating with you, I am a health and wellness coach who is trained to help you create healthy habits that stick that are going to support you in living your best life. I work with you to help you get crystal clear on where you want to go. And then with a whole lot of love and of course, a little ass kicking, I'm going to help you get out of your own way so that you can get there. 
I'll help you overcome limiting beliefs, build healthy habits, and I'll give you the tools to ensure you have an amazing relationship with food and your body. No more dieting, way less self-criticism, no more brain space wasted on what you ate or what you're going to eat or how that cellulite might look on your next vacation. 2020 is your year, and if you're feeling like it's already slipping through your hands, click the link in the show notes right now to apply for coaching with me. I can't wait to meet you. I want to take this conversation back to you. (laughs) You've shared so many great tools and so much insight already. I feel like it's like light bulb moment after light bulb moment. But I want to go back all the way to that conversation that you had with your friend. You're both sitting there. You talk about shadow work and facing our shadows, lighting that up. Can you... Tell us like how your journey began in doing that and maybe by sharing an example of how you started to go from this place where you're at rock bottom essentially to where you are now. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think first it's important to define what the shadow is so that you can see it in my story. And so the shadow is that which is caught in the hidden parts of our psyche. It keeps energy from us because it takes energy to hide these parts of ourselves. So things like anything that we want to reject about ourselves, the things that we dislike about ourselves or our personality or identity or our past or what we think is going to happen in the future, everything that we want to avoid, all of that is wrapped up in the shadow. And the shadow is in the unconscious mind. So let's say, for example, I grew up in a household where there was some verbal and emotional abuse from one of my step-parents. And so because of that, I was fairly consistently being told that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't smart enough. And so a part of my young brain as a kid took that and said, well, this must be true because an adult is telling me this. And so it took parts of my potential, parts of who I thought I was, and it stored it away in the shadow. But it also created this sort of like alter ego that was constantly on me, right? This alter ego that was a really harsh inner critic. So let me take you back to that to that moment, right? So in that moment, you know, I've told my friend everything that's been going on and everything that had been happening for me. And, you know, I started to do the work to uncover what had led to this. And what I started to find was that again, as I was just saying, in my childhood, there was all these moments that I had felt rejected, that I had felt abandoned, that I had felt, you know, like I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't smart enough, that I wasn't, you know, whatever enough. And I started to uncover all these pieces that were showing up in my inner victim, in my inner critic, and in the sabotage in my life. It really hit home for me when I was doing some work on my inner critic with my former mentor. And he asked me a really simple question. He said, write down all of the really common things that your inner critic is saying to you. And I said, okay. And I started writing it all down and I'm writing down what the inner critic's saying. And it's like, you're such a piece of shit. You know, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. You know, women don't actually like you. You know, so it's like, there's like this running list. And I was like, oh, this, this sucks. Like (laughs) hearing this Mm -hmm. narrative really sucks. And he said, okay read it out loud and see if there's a voice that it sounds familiar to. And I started reading it out loud and instantly it sounded exactly identical to one of my step parents that was quite verbally abusive. And so 
in that moment, I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm just carrying on the legacy of this person. I haven't forgiven them and I've adopted their viewpoint of who I am. And so it was in that moment where I started to integrate and heal the shadow. And the, in, the intention of working with this part of ourself is to integrate it. It's to understand it and to begin to turn towards it and, and turn towards the thing that we normally want to run away from. I had been running away from my inner critic for years. And that's why I'd gotten into the situations that I'd got in. I never felt good enough because my internal dialogue was so self-deprecative that I needed to do external things to get some form of validation, right? I needed to prove my worth mm. to people in relationships, to prove my worth sexually, to prove my worth financially. And so I was constantly seeking these external validation points because my internal dialogue was so unhealthy. So shadow work really, while I use it a lot with men, it really is the work that all of us are called to do to integrate mm -hmm. these unhealthy parts of our psyche, of our mind, of our identity, so that we can become more whole and complete people. Like Carl Jung created the concept of the shadow. He said that the only true form, the only way to wholeness is through our darkness, is by integrating what he called the monster, which is the shadow. Mm, that is so beautiful. I love that exercise that you just gave everyone to write down that inner dialogue that is happening in their mind and then to really question whose voice it is. Is it a parent's voice? Is it a teacher's voice? Is it a societal voice? Is it something that you heard in media? And that just in doing that it can help you disengage or separate from it a mm -hmm. little bit. So thank you for sharing that. I want to talk a little bit about intimacy. This is a conversation that I've seen popping up on your feed time and time again. What does intimacy mean to you? <laughs> so I've heard a couple different breakdowns of it. My breakdown that I always talk about is I break down intimacy into into me, I see. So the original root of intimacy comes from the Greek word intimus. And intimus means innermost. And so the Greeks believe that in order to have the most freest form of sexual expression, of communication, of freedom with our partners and with the people around us was to go innermost, was to see the parts of ourselves that we normally want to hide from our partner. So getting in touch with our deepest desires, understanding what shame we have around our fantasies, our desires, the way that we want to be touched, the way that we want to explore sexually with our partner we need to be able to come into contact with that part. So for me, intimacy is about not only going innermost, but it's about exploring the parts of ourselves that we want to keep hidden because those are the parts, and depending on our background, those are the parts that create an immense amount of shame. And shame is a suppressive emotion. It's like the alcohol of emotion, right? People drink alcohol to suppress themselves cognitively and emotionally and physically. That's what alcohol does to your body and your mind. And shame is the same way. Shame is a suppressive emotion. So if you're feeling sad or lonely or whatever it is, shame will come in and actually push that emotion down. So intimacy for me is about going within. It's about exploring ourselves, our mind, our body, our soul, our sexuality, and really coming into contact with what it is that we are normally hiding from people and finding relationships where we can start to bring those parts forward so that we can build a bridge of intimacy and connection and communication. 
Oh, I love this. I love that breakdown, intimacy into me, I see. I think so often we think of intimacy as being something that we have with another person, but we forget that it all starts by knowing ourselves deeply, by lighting up those shadows, by exploring those and peering into those corners that we're perhaps a little bit afraid to show, and then by allowing somebody else to see and to know those things. And that requires an incredible amount of vulnerability but this also builds strength, right? This is where we start to build that intimacy. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit, a little piece of why intimacy is important in our life. Like sometimes it, intimacy just feels so hard. Like it's just easier to not, to not go there. <laughs> but why do you believe it's important? Why is it worth having a conversation about? Yeah, I mean, intimacy is such a beautiful gift of ex- of existence. It's a mirror. It is a vehicle for transformation. It's a vehicle for connection. It can really be the gateway to so, so, so much healing within our lives. And I think that's one of the that's one of the gifts of it. Intimacy is important because for some people, it's the access point of how they meet themselves. Right? We can use many different vehicles of exploration, of self-exploration, developing a deeper level of self-awareness, right? Some people want to go to a Tony Robbins event. Some people want to come to a Man Talks mm-hmm. Men's Weekend. Some people want to go do one-on-one work. Some people want to learn about about sex and explore the depths of their own parts within the container of a relationship sexually, emotionally, intellectually with their partner. And you can learn so much about yourself and about humanity when you are naked between the sheets, right? Because that is one of the most vulnerable spaces and places that we will ever experience. You know, it's very rare that we are fully stripped down naked, physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually in front of another human being. But it's in those moments where we really connect to the collective part of this game called life, of this game called, you know, the human experience. And so I think it's powerful for so many reasons. And even if you're not using it for this, you know, big sort of esoteric spiritual connection, it is beautiful because you can experience a deeper level of bliss. You can get to know your partner on a much deeper level and you can deepen your connection to expanding your edge. You know, I think that we all masculine, feminine, men, woman, however you identify, whatever your sexual orientation is, we all crave expansion. And intimacy is such a beautiful way to expand ourselves on all different planes. Mm, I can't wait to dig into this. I feel like it's an area of health and wellness that we haven't spent a lot of time on. But when we're talking about showing up as our best self, up-leveling, expanding, all of these things, then we got to go there. We got to go there. So what does, I have a couple more quick, well, we'll see how quick they are, but quick (laughs) questions for you. What does self-love mean to you as a man? I think self-love for me is, first off, I think it's one of those things that is talked about so much right now, and it's been watered down by Mm -hmm. social media, self-help. And I think for me, the simplicity of self-love is that it requires self-acceptance. And so I, th- I think for me as a man, we talk about this a lot in our groups is like, what does it actually mean to be a man who does love himself? And it's always through the gateway of, of self-acceptance. It's about finding the parts of yourself that you want to reject, that you dislike, that you 
maybe sometimes hate or wish you didn't have or hadn't happened to you. And it's about finding a sense of acceptance, a deep acceptance, and opening yourself up to feeling whatever coincides with that, right? For some people, that means that they're going to have to go through the pain of the divorce. So they're going to have to go through the the sadness of having lost a parent at a really young age. Some of the, the men that I've worked with haven't been able to love themselves because they, you know, were physically abused as a kid or sexually abused as a kid. And they've and they've never talked about it, right? They've been going through life trying to desperately get a sense of self-love while this self-loathing is going on underneath the surface. So for me, self-love is all about self-acceptance. Mm, I love that. What does wellness mean to you? Oh, I think that's another big one. I will try and simplify it. <laughs> <laughs> wellness for me is about alignment. And wellness for me is about being dialed in and being really aware of what you require intellectually, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, physically. And it's about cultivating this practice of deepening your awareness into what allows you to feel well on a regular basis. Uh, I think that we've taken our wellness and tried to bottle it up externally. And that's not necessarily the case. Those things might help, you know, like the, the tinctures and the Palo Santo and the stage and the, you know, whatever else we, we use. Yeah. And I do this too. I'm not, I'm not throwing shade. I do these yes. things too, right? Like we, we have a Palo Santo routine in my house. But wellness for me is always within. And so it's about cultivating that awareness to what we need in any given moment and making sure that it's not our, our shadow or our sabotage mechanisms trying to keep us stuck, trying to keep us lazy, trying to keep us complacent and really doing what we need in order to nourish ourselves on all those different levels. Uh, that's so great. I think time and time again, when we talk about wellness or health or that type of thing, the first things that come to mind for people are like, I need to exercise an hour a day and I need to do yoga twice a week and I should be meditating for 60 minutes a day and I need like the oils and I need the green smoothie mm -hmm. and I need this new powder in my coffee. And the list goes on and on and it becomes very overwhelming to people. So I love that you just reminded everyone that those things are all nice and they're great and we should definitely, you know, try and move our bodies here and there and and create that in our routine. But wellness is so much deeper. I love the idea of wellness being alignment, which mm. is going to look different for every single person. What would you say are sort of three keys to your own wellness routine that really help you maintain that alignment? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you made such a good point before. You're a great interviewer, by the way. I'm just going to, I want all of your listeners to say, that. I've been on a ton oh. of shows and you really, you really are actually a, a quite a gifted interviewer. So I just want to plop that out there for, for people to acknowledge. Oh God, because, thank you. <laughs> because it, it's true, because I've been on a ton of shows and this is, this is, I'm having thank a blast. You. So you mentioned something really important before, which is that we often get caught up in the logistics of what our routines look like and we miss you know, putting the powder in the coffee in the morning and then we shit all over ourselves and that kind of defeats the purpose of what the wellness practice is. So I just want to <laughs> pop that out there. It's like have some compassion for yourself. Don't forget to execute with empathy while you're, while you're going through this journey. But my three practices are pretty simple. So big, big, big staple for me is that everything starts with the breath. I like to say, you know, I got a degree in music, but what I really got a degree in was breathing. 
And so breath work is a huge, huge, huge part of my life. So every single morning I will do breath work. I have a couple different modalities that I play around with. But I think for me, like if you're not connected with the breath, you can go, I mean, you can go weeks without food, you can go days without water, but you can't go more than a few minutes without breath. And so if the quality of your breath is stuck, you know, up in your upper chest, your diaphragm has knots in it, or, you know, you're not, you're not breathing properly, the rest of your life is going to be a little bit more of a struggle. So get tuned in with the breath. The second part for me is meditation. That is an absolute staple, quieting the mind, emptying it out. Um, I have a daily practice of that as well. And that can be anything from five minutes to an hour. It just depends on my schedule. I have some flexibility and leniency. I used to be that guy that tried so hard to really do the same thing every day and do like the hour and a half of, you know, 18,000 different things all at once. And it just didn't work for me. So I've created some flexibility around when I meditate and how long I meditate for. That's two. And the other one I know is going to be super, super simple. And I, I hate that I'm even saying it, but drink a lot of water. Drink really good, clean, healthy water. If you look into how shitty a lot of the water is that you're that people are drinking out of the taps in North America, it, it would surprise the average person. So find a really good quality water filter if you want to go as far as you know oxidizing your water you can do that i haven't gotten to that deeply yet but drink really good clean water and drink a ton of it and then find some supplements that work for you for me it's lion's mane uh, mushrooms and reishi mushrooms and chaga and then i'll i'll do that with like a little bit of nootropics and some other supplements that just coincide with what my body needs so find that jam for you mm, beautiful simple 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 but so powerful and I'm betting that there are some people listening right now who are like, oh, I have literally haven't had a glass of water since two days ago. So go get some water, people. Get some water. Connor, you talk a lot to men, but I'm curious to know, what is your message to women of the world? Oh, man, just one message? <laughs> that's, such a, that's such a huge question. <laughs> if you're going to die tomorrow <laughs> and every woman was going to get a message from you in their inbox, what would you want that message to be? Oh, man. I think it's just the remembrance that the, the feminine is such a beautiful quality in existence. You know, it might not seem like it sometimes, but it really is a gift to men. Like the, the feminine really is a gift to men. And when you're in that space, there's nothing that we crave more. And of course, I'm speaking from a, a heterosexual man standpoint, but regardless of shape, size, background, ethnicity, language, sexual preference, like a, a woman who who is embodied in her feminine is just so unbelievably beautiful. And I can't emphasize that enough. Mm, I love that message. Thank you so much. Connor, where can everyone connect with you if they want to learn more, hear your words, DM their partners, <laughs> all of your stuff? Where yeah, do they the, go? the easiest way is probably through Instagram. It's just at mantalks, M-A-N-T-A-L-K-S. Uh, I do a ton of like answering, doing Q and A's there for men and women, talk about sex and sexuality and relationships and just a whole bunch of stuff, post-weekly videos, et cetera. And then if you want to learn more about me and the work that I'm doing, uh, you can head on over to connorbeaton.com. I'm actually in the process of building a course specifically for women called Understanding Men. And it'll just be a breakdown of understanding men and their mm. psyche, men in commitment, 
men in sexuality. Um, and it'll really be like the manual, the resource for women to understand men and, you know, why we are the way that we are. Yes, you go. I love it. If you are listening to this episode and you took some things from it, please pass it on to somebody that you love to help share Connor's message and to create some positive impact in this world. I can't thank you enough for tuning in. Remember that as you listen to these episodes, your body, your life is different than anyone else's out there. So take what you need, take what resonates and leave the rest behind. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.